Hello, I'm Alec and this is Scandal 101. Happy Friday, happy end of the week. (laughs) This week has been crazy busy. Seems like everyone around me has been having crazy busy weeks recently. Yeah, so happy Friday if you're listening to this today that it comes out, and if not, happy whatever day it is. Can you feel it? Love is in the air? It's almost Valentine's Day. (laughs) Oh, Valentine's Day. In my opinion, one of the biggest scams, because listen, I love love, but for whatever reason, Valentine's Day to me has always just been super cheesy and like it was fun in elementary school when you got to decorate your box and go around and pass out little Valentines to your classmates. But when you get older, there's like, oh, I'm alone on Valentine's Day or oh, I don't know what to get my partner. Oh, we need to go out to this fancy yabbity yap. No, who cares? Do what you want. If you want to go out to a nice restaurant with your partner or do all those fancy things, like, good for you, but there definitely shouldn't be the pressure to do all of those things, so it's just kind of annoying and unfortunate that so many people feel pressured on this one random day every year or they feel shame because they're not dating someone or whatever. It's just like, it's just another day. If you want to do something cool, if you don't, also cool, but also... What is the best part about Valentine's Day? The day after, when all of the chocolate and candy is half off. So if you don't like Valentine's Day, you should celebrate on the 15th because everything is super cheap at the store and you can just pick out for half the price. (laughs) So if you're looking for something to do this Valentine's Day, why don't you go to your local store and pig out? And with that totally related note, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, in terms of scandals I've seen in the news recently, there was one that came out today I saw with a Russian skater in the Olympics who apparently failed a doping test or something like that. At least as of today, she's not officially banned by the Olympics, which I read means that she's still going to perform going forward, assuming nothing changes. And then of course, Spotify Joe Rogan scandal has been going on recently more clips have been coming out more episodes have been deleted so who knows what's going to happen with that in the long run but it's definitely interesting to see how all of that is going Uh, other than that i don't really have much to say i'm going to read off my sources so if you're not interested skip ahead like 30 seconds and as always there's a link to the sources in the show notes where you can find all of them if you want to go read them yourself but i used an ABC article titled The Scandals That Brought Down the Bakers, Once Among U.S.'s Most Famous Televangelists. I read a Washington Post article titled PTL's Missing Millions. I read another Washington Post article titled PTL Fundraising, A Tangled Saga. I watched an episode of Scandal Made Me Famous, Jessica Hahn, a People article titled Inside the Jessica Hahn Scandal. I read an article titled Chronology of PTL Buildup and Scandal, ABC News article titled Jim Baker and His Church Settle Lawsuits over COVID-19 claims, and then lastly, a couple of different Wikipedia pages. And again, if you want to see a list of all of those sources, those are linked in the show notes. 
Alrighty, you saw the title when you clicked on the episode, but let's get into it. This is Praise the Lord, Money, Sex, and Church. Our main character throughout this episode is Jim Baker. He's our main guy, so let's get to know him a little bit. Jim Baker, he was born on January 2nd, 1940 in Muskegon, Michigan. He went to a Bible college affiliated with the Assemblies of God, and the college was titled or named uh, North Central University, and it's located in Minneapolis. It was there where he would meet his future wife named Tammy Faye. I'm just going to call her Tammy from now on, and they met in the year 1960. They got married about a year later in 1961, and the two left college to become itinerant evangelists. And I had no idea what the word itinerant means, but it's just someone who travels around to different places, to different groups in a short time. So in this role, they would be traveling around, they would be preaching about the basic Christian redemption message, so they left to do that, they had two kids together, and they started working on their careers as evangelists. Traveling around, they got pretty good at entertaining a crowd, and in 1966, they began working at Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcasting Network as televangelists, and (laughs) yeah, just a wild profession, and the audiences for that network at the time were in the low thousands, so they were reaching some people, but definitely not like national or international, but they're doing that and as they continued the work the network started to grow and at one point they hosted a show that had puppets on it doing comedy and Jim also became the host of a talk show called the 700 Club so as their popularity is growing as the network is growing they're starting to take on more of a television personality as well as still doing televangelist stuff. The Bakers, they left that in 1972, and they helped form the Trinity Broadcasting Network in California, but shortly after that was formed, the Bakers left because they had a falling out with another co-founder. So after this, the Bakers, Jim and Tammy, they moved uh, to North Carolina where they aired their own late-night style talk show called The PTL Club. The PTL Club, with the talk style, like the late night talk show style, they featured different Christian recording artists, as well as featured different well-known ministers. They started broadcasting the PTL Club in 1974, and eventually, over the next few years, their show's reach went across the entire country. In 1975, the show launched nationally with different editions offered. There was a two-hour edition of the show, which usually aired on like smaller networks and Christian networks, and a one-hour version that aired on larger networks. So the show is growing, and because of the success that the Bakers were having, they formed the PTL Television Network, which broadcasted worldwide. So they're past national, they're worldwide at this point. But the PTL Club, the TV show, that was still the main feature, the main staple of the network. And this network and the show... It was still being broadcasted and filmed out of North Carolina. It just was going across the entire world. The structure of the show being a late night talk show kind of thing, it had the main host and the main host was Jim Baker. There was a sidekick or a co-host and for a while that was Henry Harrison who went by the name Uncle Henry and eventually after a while Tammy who was Jim's wife just as a reminder she became the co-host and Uncle Jerry became like an announcer on the show and so far up to this point this story is a story about a televangelist 
couple who started this network, this successful show, and they were being successful. Whether or not you're into Christianity or televangelism, seemingly it's a wholesome story right now. The show PTL, what it stood for was praise the Lord, but other people thought it should be called pass the loot. If you've ever seen televangelists on TV or seen videos or maybe even read about them or heard about them, you probably know that a lot of what they do is they ask for money from their watchers. And after watching clips of the show, like I watched some some clips of this show, the PTL Club, it was honestly kind of entertaining. There was music, there were bands, and there was an energetic speaker, Jim, telling you about how your money donation would make a difference in your life which I was just like, hmm, funny how that works. I'm going to give you money and I'm going to see a difference in my life. Okay. And this form of asking for money to help better yourself, it's known as prosperity gospel. And Jim and Tammy were among the founders of it. And it's basically what it sounds like. It's, hey, if you give me more money, God will bless you, and the more money you give, the more God will bless you. So, (laughs) in my opinion, it's complete bullshit, (laughs) but it worked on a lot of people, and it's still a popular way to preach if you're a televangelist, and Jim and Tammy, not only were they founders of this kind of method, but they were good at it. In 1979, PTL is... They're in year five of their operations. They're continuing to gain popularity. One thing that they're gaining besides popularity is the attention of the Federal Communications Commission or the FCC. The FCC was investigating PTL for allegedly misusing funds raised on the air. Their investigation continued and it was eventually found that Jim, again, the main guy we're talking about, he had raised around $350,000, which he said was going to go support missions overseas which like you know if you're gonna go feed hungry build some wells whatever like awesome put that money to good use but instead what the money was used for was used to pay for part of heritage usa which used to be a christian themed water and amusement park built by jim baker tammy baker and the ptl club And yes, you heard that right. They were raising so much money. They had such a big empire, like the PTL empire was so big that they had built this grand amusement park and it wasn't some dinky little fairground. It opened in 1978 and it brought in almost 6 million people per year. There was a hotel, an attraction called Main Street USA, an indoor shopping area, church, amphitheater, a replica of Jerusalem, conference centers, a skating rink, a Bible school, campgrounds, and this huge water park. So it was this gigantic thing. And in some articles I read, they called it Christian Disneyland. And I'm going to post some pictures of it on uh, the social media. It's crazy. It's huge. It looks super duper fun. The water park part. I don't know if I want to go to Bible camp, but the water park part looks looks super fun. And like I said, it wasn't a little dinky place. It took up about 2,300 acres or 3.6 square miles of land. So this was huge. The FCC is doing their investigation. They're looking into these allegations and they're starting to realize that like, hey, you kind of said that you were going to be using this money for overseas missions, but instead it's looking like you're putting it back into your amusement park. What's up with that? They finalized the report in 1982 
Yep, that's what they were doing. And it also was finalized in the report that the bakers were using PTL funds for their own personal expenses. Surprise, surprise. Not surprising with televangelists. <laughs> but, okay, so the FCC commissioners, they looked into taking action against the bakers, but they had a vote on whoever was on their commissioner board, and a vote of four to three dropped the investigation, and they also allowed Baker to sell the only TV station that he owned, which allowed Baker to not have any oversight from the FCC in the future. The, the case was sent to the Department of Justice, but nothing was done. So basically, the FCC, they did this investigation, they found out like, hey, you said you were going to use this money for your church Thing or missions or whatever, but you put it in an amusement park and you lied to people. But the FCC took a vote and was like, yeah, that's okay. Just don't do that again, mister. Ah, oh, we love, we love you so much. Thanks so much, Jim. And then the Department of Justice didn't do anything either, <laughs> which is crazy. Generally, I don't think of preachers, ministers as people who are like crazy rich, not that they're like dirt poor, but I don't think of them as super duper rich. But at the time, Jim and Tammy, they were collecting over $1 million per year in the 1980s. So clearly they're living the high life from those donations, which is just... Ugh. The IRS, they also did their own confidential report and investigation, and they recommended stripping PTL of their tax-exempt status after finding that between 1980 and 1983, the Bakers had used around $1.3 million of PTL's money for their own personal benefit, and I'm pretty sure that didn't include the money that they were, like, getting as a salary. But guess what? There was no action taken. It wasn't referred to the IRS's criminal division until way, way later, and it just continued to be a low-key civil audit. So it's like, I guess good that they were still investigating it a little bit, but it's crazy that with all of this evidence, <laughs> nothing was done, and this was a tax-exempt organization because most religious, charitable, educational organizations can claim for tax-exempt status, which, full disclosure, my opinion, churches should not be tax-exempt. I don't care what kind of church, I don't care what kind of religion, I am not anti-religion by any means. I just don't think churches should be tax-exempt for any purpose, and I realize that churches do a lot of good for the community, I realize that they do a lot of missions, but I don't know. It's a complicated topic because you're weighing the church's goods, the like the good that the church does for the community. But then you also, I think I did a speech on it maybe a year or two ago and my numbers could be way off, but I'm pretty sure it was in the like 20 or $30 billion range that, uh, hold on, let me look it up. Okay, I looked it up. There are a lot of different numbers out there, but I saw anywhere between six and $20 billion that local and state governments are not getting because churches are not tax exempt, or they are tax exempt. So how much is the service that they're providing to the community versus the amount of money that they could be paying in taxes to help go back into the community, to help fund education, to help fund roads, community services. It's a strong, it's a <laughs> tough debate. My opinion is I think all churches should not be tax exempt. But that's a whole different podcast, a whole different episode. <laughs> so back to what we were talking about. They were a tax exempt organization, PTL was at this time. The IRS recommended 
stripping the PTL of their tax-exempt status after finding uh, that they had used around $1.3 million of PTL's money for their own personal benefits. No action was taken, like I said, but it's just, uh, it's crazy. It was reported by ex-executives of the show that the bakers would use PTL petty cash for their own personal shopping sprees. They made $6,000 down payments on a 43-foot drifter houseboat, which like, why do you need that if you're a preacher? Or why does anybody need a houseboat if you already have a house? But whatever. They bought a Corvette and Jim bought a $2,500 mink coat for his wife, Tammy. Of course, Jim... Uh, denied all of this, but it's pretty clear that money was being abused. So Jim is hearing all these allegations, he's denying them, and what does someone who's skilled in TV do in this situation? He brought lawyers to Washington, D.C., and he broadcast his quote-unquote persecution that was taking place in Washington in the investigation of the FCC. So we already know how the investigation came out, but during the investigation with the FCC, the FCC investigator said that they couldn't let him cry because they would have to stop questioning him because he would literally like collapse into tears, which to me seems like an avoidance tactic, but whatever. During the FCC investigation, he was appealing to his viewers. He was broadcasting this and he wept on a televised segment, basically saying like, this was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Jim also said, quote, PTL is going to be stronger than it's ever been. I will fight till the day I die for the right to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ over the airwaves, end quote. And of course, all of this is happening while being investigated for misuse of money. And while he's broadcasting this, he can't pass up the opportunity. He asks for money and he says the catchy line that he's somewhat known for. After asking for money, he followed it up with, quote, let's give the devil a black eye, end quote. Um, hey, you're being investigated for lying and misusing money. How is that, how is that like the devil? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. We of course know how the FCC came out on this, but it wasn't only a good day because Jim didn't get any punishment from the FCC. It was a good day for the people who supported him because... Everyone saw this FCC victory as not only a victory for Jim, but for Christianity and the church of PTL or his show. Because of this, donations started to pour in much, much more than they had before. For example, 1978, the year before this investigation, he raised $28 million versus the year of the investigation, 1979, he raised $129 million in that one year. And guess what came with this money? Surprisingly, Jim started buying condos, cars, and even more expensive things. Surprise, surprise. One FCC member who was on the board at the time, he said, quote, In a terribly ironic way, we made Jim Baker what he is today, end quote. And that's true. You voted not to punish him, not and like allowed him to sell his TV network to get out of it. <laughs> it's just... <sighs> Listen... A white religious man in the 70s had all the power in the world, and this is clearly an example of that. Jim, he wasn't just good at raising money on TV, but he was also good at raising money through the mail. The daily mail that would come in to PTL would often bring in $200,000 per day in the mail. That is not including people calling in over the phone and like using their credit cards. That's 
people mailing in checks, mailing in cash. And what he would do is he timed his mail asks for money to arrive on the same day that social security checks got to people's mailboxes. So people would say, oh, I have my social security check. And then they'd be like, oh, I also have this ask for money to donate to PTL. I've got some extra money. I just got a check today. Like it's really smart the way he did it, but it's also just so manipulative. Like, first of all, people who are receiving social security checks generally are over 65. So you're going after this elder population and saying, you know what, if you want God to love you, you should donate your money here. (laughs) It's just crazy. They're bringing in all of this money and one of the reasons he was able to get away with it for so long is this money went into a secret executive account controlled by Jim and his top aide, David Taggart, which was apparently kept secret from PTL's financial officers. So even though all this money was coming in, it was going to the organization, it seems like really only a few people at the top knew what was actually going on with the money. Even though the baker's reported salary was supposed to be reasonable around $70,000, which is definitely more reasonable than like a million dollars, it was discovered that in 1984, they were earning over $4.5 million per year. So the money, it's not being handled correctly, it's being mismanaged, it's being spent on personal things, and eventually the funds for PTL, they started to dry up, bills started becoming unpaid, and the public hearing all of these things is starting not to be happy with the fact that, um, I donated you money and you're a tax-exempt organization, you're claiming to be this church, but yet you're spending all of this money on personal things and to fund your amusement park. This unhappiness, this investigation into the money, it leads to not only a reputation downfall of Jim Baker, but it leads to another scandal, not one with money, but this time with sex. More individuals and news organizations are looking into the financial abuses coming out about PTL and Jim Baker, and one of those newspapers is the Charlotte Observer. They began to investigate the organization's financial records, and the newspaper found something interesting. They found a $279,000 payment to Jessica Hahn, who was a church secretary at the time. Now, she wasn't a church secretary with PTL, but she just was like a church secretary in general. This news of this payment came out in 1987, and what happened, what the allegation was, and I'm going to go more in detail to it, was that Jessica alleged that in 1980, Jim, our friend, the head of the church, or PTL, whatever, that Jim had raped her, and she would have been 21 years old at the time, but Jim came back and said that yes, they did have sex, but it was consensual, no rape. First of all, Jim has already feel in the heat because he's mismanaged his, I guess not even mismanaged, he's blatantly lied to people and just abused the money of PTL. But not only that, he's one of the biggest names in televangelism at the time, if not one of the biggest names in the religious community. And he had either one, raped somebody, or two, had an affair with a secretary, which either way is going to be a huge scandal for a religious figure, especially one as big as him. And because he's such a big name, everyone wants a part of this story. To give you a little bit of background on Jessica and then going into this sex scandal, 
when she was little, her father had abandoned her, and growing up, she didn't really have any positive male figures in her life. She was raised Catholic, she wasn't really vibing with the Catholic religion, but when she was 14, she visited a gospel church that made her feel more at home. She started enjoying the more active and energetic style of religion that was going on there, and she became a fan of the PTL Club, which we know what that is, it's that grand old TV show that wants you to donate all the money. She wasn't only a fan of it, she was a financial supporter, and she had sent in money to the PTL club. Looking at Jim and Tammy, our favorite couple, their relationship had apparently been on the rocks uh, for a while before this sex scandal broke. Tammy was getting close to one of the producers on the show named Gary Paxton, which, fun fact, he is famously known for the Monster Mash, so that's fun. It appeared that Tammy and Gary were getting kind of close, some people say they had an affair, that's never really been confirmed in what I could find, but it seemed like they were definitely having an emotional affair, and of course, Jim wasn't happy about this. Obviously, you don't want your spouse to have an emotional affair, but with how strict of religious people that they were, cheating and adultery is definitely not okay. Okay, so Jim and Tammy's relationships is kind of on the rocks. Jessica is a fan of PTL Club, but before she even interacted with Jim, she was a secretary for Pastor Eugene Profeta, and it was just a pastor, whatever, to church, and she later said that her duties, on top of secretarial duties, involved kissing and heavy petting of him. She said later that she thought she was helping the ministry by doing everything that she was asked to do. She also said in later years to Playboy magazine that she had an affinity for men in powerful positions. One thing throughout this entire sex scandal part of the episode is a lot of people question what were uh, Jessica's motives. For example, she didn't have the father figure, a positive male figure growing up, so is it that she was looking for a father figure in these powerful men and they were able to take advantage of her that way? Or did she like the powerful persona of the men, the priests, the ministers in her life, and did she pursue them sexually? That's, I could... In all of the things I read, it's never been confirmed really one way or the other. People who believe Jessica's story say that she was manipulated and misled and abused. And other people who don't necessarily believe her story kind of say, mm, you know, maybe she had a rough childhood and maybe she was tempted by that power, but it was voluntary. And we're going to get into why there is such a debate about this. So she's doing this kissing and this heavy petting of the pastor. And again, she said that she thought she had to do that to help the ministry. If you want to believe that, great. If you don't, also cool, but that's what she said. It was also alleged that she had a one-night stand with another televangelist priest minister who was a common guest on the PTL. And that minister, pastor, televangelist, he said that, yep, Jessica and I, we had a one-night stand, but Jessica is like, nope. We didn't. So there's a lot of back and forth with this, but that preacher's name that she allegedly maybe had a one night stand with, his name was John Wesley Fletcher. This John Wesley Fletcher, he's a televangelist, he's a common guest on PTL, he's also a friend of Jim. And with being a friend of Jim, he was there and remembered when. Jim and Tammy's relationship was rocky that maybe Tammy was having an affair with that producer. So Jim, or sorry, so John suggests to Jim, hey, you know what? 
Jim, you should get back at Tammy. You should have an affair. You should hook up with somebody. And I know the perfect girl. You should hook up with Jessica. And so what happened is John called Jessica and was like, hey, you know Jim, our best friend Jim from the PTL club. You love and admire him so much. He would love to meet you. I will buy you a plane ticket to come down to Tampa, Florida. We'll put you up in a hotel. And he would just love to meet you. He is going through a tough time and just needs some help. So Jessica is apparently elated by this because she is a huge fan of PTL and of Jim, and he's this huge name in the televangelist community and religion as a whole. So John buys her a ticket, she goes down to Florida, and they go up to this hotel room. Once in the hotel room, John gave Jessica a glass of wine, and Jessica later said that she felt like she had been drugged. From Jessica's account, what happens next is that Jim comes in and rapes her, essentially. But Jim says that the sex was consensual to this day because there are those differing accounts and they were the only two people in the room. There is never a solid answer as to what actually happened. People believe Jessica's accounts. People believe Jim's accounts. So that sexual encounter happens with Jim and Jessica. Jessica says it was rape. Jim says, nope, it was consensual. And that happens. And because there are a lot of names... Jessica, church secretary, Jim, he's a PTL person on TV, and John is the other televangelist who maybe had sex with Jessica in the past, maybe not. What happens next is apparently, so after Jim leaves, John apparently comes back into the room. John says, then we had consensual sex, uh, Jessica and I did, but Jessica says that after the sexual encounter with Jim... John came back in and raped her. So Jessica's account is, both of these men raped me. Jim's account is, nope, the sex I had with Jessica was consensual. And then John is like, nope, I also had consensual sex with Jessica. It was all cool and fine and dandy. Yeehaw. If you believe Jessica's account, that is horrible and she was raped and that's awful. If you believe the other people's accounts, you're not gonna be on Jessica's side. And there's people on both sides. It's not heavily one way or the other. Regardless of what happened or whose side you believe, after what happened in Florida, whatever happened, Jessica went back to her church and she told her minister what had happened. And the minister was a friend of John's, the person who had allegedly raped her. And so this minister is like, okay, you know, that's awful that that happened. I'm going to counsel you. And apparently the counseling went on for a few months. It helped, but eventually... Jessica had a relationship with that pastor that eventually was sexual and consensual. Part of the reason why people don't believe Jessica is because she has this pattern, if you want to say pattern, she has this apparent pattern of getting with powerful men in religion. But people on the other side who support Jessica's side is, okay, these men are taking advantage of her because if she was raped in Florida... She's now having a relationship with essentially her therapist, who has been counseling her, who already required her to apparently kiss and heavy pet him. There's stuff on both sides that you can say, yeah, that makes sense. But then you go to the other side and you're like, well, that's a good point. So it, it's just, it's interesting. 
All right, let's go back to John. John, apparently after this Florida interaction, I don't know exactly how long after, but he apparently started to drink and he was approaching men on the set of PTL and trying to kiss them, something that's not okay in general because you shouldn't kiss people who aren't expecting it, who aren't consenting to it, and who don't know you, or who are your co-workers or subordinates or whatever, but also because not only that is he like coming on to people unconsented, but he's also a pastor in North Carolina making moves on men in the 80s. That's not okay, according to their views at the time. Jim is like, yo bro, what the hell, and fires him, exact quote. (laughs) And after John is fired is when a lot of information about PTL starts to become leaked. And a lot of people think that John is the leak because the information that was being leaked would only have been known to people who are close to Jim, but it's never been confirmed that he was a leak. So this financial information is starting to be leaked, but also... One name is leaked, and that name is Jessica Hahn. So Jessica, she gets wind that her name is being leaked, that rumors are being spread around, and she contacts the PTL and says that, you know what, you need to figure this out or else I'm going to sue. So in 1984, she is paid off and has to sign something that says that Jim Baker did not rape her and that she has to stay quiet. Even though she signs this, she doesn't stay quiet for long. She apparently called the newspaper, our friends at the Charlotte Observer, and she tried to squash rumors that were going around. And a lot of people who don't believe Jessica are like, okay, why would you call a newspaper to try and squash rumors if they're just going to publish an article? But she did that and she told the reporter that she had been raped by Jim. But she called back a few days later and said that everything she had told the reporter was a lie and that she was going to sue the reporter and the newspaper if anything was published. So people who don't believe Jessica are like, okay, here you go. She said herself she lied, so why should we believe her? But presumably people who support Jessica are like, well, maybe she was scared. Maybe she didn't know what to do. Maybe she panicked. She wanted to take it all back. Again, more for the debate. After she calls this, or after she calls the reporter, she goes back to PTL and apparently got more money, which when we go back to what we talked about earlier, added up to the $279,000 that we had talked about. And again, more fire for the debate. People are like, Jessica wanted money. And supporters of Jessica are like, nope, she just wanted money for her damages because she was raped. So more debate. Because Jessica had taken back her statement, he couldn't really report on her statement because she retracted it and that's not really good reporting. So this reporter is like, okay, I need to investigate this myself, even though I got weird claims and then retractions from Jessica herself, I need to talk to people to see if this is legit. So after a lot of reporting and a lot of investigation, the reporter finds out and gets proof that PTL money was used to pay Jessica to get her to shut up about what had happened. And obviously you can't use a nonprofit church's money for hush money. So this reporter is like, bingo, and he's going to write this article. The Charlotte Observer, which is the newspaper that eventually publishes article, they got into contact with Jim, our friend, not friend, but our PTL person, and told him that they were going to run a front page story about him and his affair with Jessica. So Jim realized that he needed to 
he needed to tell his wife because they're still married at this point. (laughs) And after doing this, after like telling his wife, it was also starting to come out that Jim was making sexual advances toward many of his staff members who were men, which it's like, bro, if you're not happy in your marriage, get a divorce, get a divorce. It's also like, hey, maybe you shouldn't come on to your, uh, what's the word? Subordinates. Maybe you shouldn't attack sexually come after your co-workers. How about that for a change, Mr. Religious? Oh, I love God. Give me your money. Like, what? Okay, whatever. All of this is happening. Rumors are going around. This article's about to be published, and Jerry Falwell, who is another famous televangelist at the time, he comes in and he's like, listen, Jim, you got a lot of shit going on. Let me step in. I'll help run PTL. I'll get you through this difficult time. We can be best friends. Because of this, Jim Baker resigns the day before the article is published, and after the article is published, he said that former friends and colleagues conspired against him to take him down. The article comes out on March 20th, 1987, and things, I want to say, start to fall apart, but they're already falling apart. Things just continue to fall apart, but now they're going at a faster rate. Jerry Falwell, the televangelist who took over PTL, as well as the PTL learn more about what's going on. They're like, yikes, this is a crazy mess. And later that year, PTL files for bankruptcy. The IRS again steps in and looks into something that Jim used to sell in like during his time of PTL called Lifetime Partnerships. And so what this was, was with the water park and that whole amusement park thing, there was like a hotel resort thing kind of there. So the deal was, if you gave $1,000, you could come to the amusement park, you could stay at the resort for free for a few days, which... Sure, sounds like a good deal. You support PTL, you want to go to the amusement park, water park thing. If you give us $1,000, we'll give you a few free nights there, which sounds like a good idea. The problem was, they had such a big reach that so many people bought these lifetime partnership deals that the hotel, the resort, didn't have enough rooms for all of these people. So essentially, this became a timeshare fraud issue. (laughs) And... So Jim is just digging himself into a hole more and more and more. Jim's life, as we know, is falling apart. But Jessica, on the other hand, is becoming famous. This whole thing, she is a huge reason why this successful televangelist, successful religious uh, staple is crashing down and everyone wanted to talk to her, including someone you might recognize, Howard Stern. She became a frequent caller and guest on the Howard Stern Show, and the attention of someone else was grabbed when she was doing this. Hugh Hefner. He apparently offered her $1 million to pose nude for Playboy, and she said yes. And with Jessica becoming famous, the Howard Stern Show, the Playboy magazine, she moved into the Playboy mansion, and she was eventually cast in the music video Wild Things for Sam Kinison, and those two eventually started dating, but it didn't last long, (laughs) and their relationship was very toxic, including one time toward the end of the relationship, Sam was shit-talking Jessica on the Howard Stern show and Jessica was listening. So Jessica called into the Howard Stern show to confront him. (laughs) So clearly not a good relationship. And the last thing I'll mention about this debate is 
with Jessica kind of becoming a celebrity doing this music video, being on the a regular guest on the Howard Stern talk show and living in the Playboy Mansion doing this Playboy shoot. A lot of people who don't believe that Jessica was innocent and was abused was like, all of this was just a ploy to become famous. But people who support Jessica are more like she maybe just took advantage of the situation that was in front of her. And like that was kind of her only option to, I guess, make a path forward from where she was. All of this stuff is just debate, debate, debate. It's interesting. There's just so much to this story. Eventually, Jim goes to trial and he is charged with mail fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy charges for the timeshare slash lifetime partnership scam, and he is found guilty. He is sentenced to 45 years in prison, but his sentence was overturned to the presiding judge's alleged bias, and his sentence was reduced to eight years. Our friend Jim, he was paroled in 1994, and since then, he has been living normally in society. While Jim was in jail, Tammy and Jim got a divorce, and after this, Tammy's career kind of made a comeback, um, but she unfortunately passed away of colon cancer in 2007. Jessica Hahn, she stopped working in show business, she stopped kind of doing all that stuff, and she now lives in Los Angeles and said that she remains a committed Christian. What about our friend Jim Baker? What's he been up to since he was paroled in 1994 and he's been living in society? Maybe he's living a quiet life. Maybe he kind of learned his lesson. Nope. He is back on TV with another ministry, but instead he's not talking about if you donate money, God will love you. He's going after a different group. He's going after end of the world preppers this time. He sells generators, preparation food, basically doing the same thing of getting money out of people, but he's doing it with a different message of, here's what you need to do, God has informed me of the end of the world, and here's how you can prepare by buying all of these things. And of course, our friend Jim Baker wouldn't be who he is without everyone's favorite topic, COVID. Jim Baker was operating, or is operating out of Southern Missouri, and him and his church were sued for claiming on TV a false cure to COVID-19. In the early days of the pandemic, he was offering a product called Silver Solution, which was made up of collodial silver, I think that's how you pronounce it, and it is essentially something that doesn't have any known benefits to the human body, but if you ingest too much of it, it can turn your skin blue. So they were offering this as a cure to COVID. If we've learned anything about Jim, he's energetic. He is convincing. He can get people to buy things. And he got a lot of people to buy this quote unquote cure to COVID. So in 2021, the suit was settled and Jim and his church were ordered to pay a restitution of $156,000 to people who bought the solution. So even as of last summer, 2021, Jim is an expert of getting money out of people. And with that fun COVID update of Jim, that concludes Praise the Lord, Money, Sex, and Church. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, first of all, oh, oh my god, get it, religion? Okay, but here's the thing. There is, there is so much information on this scandal. Like, there's huge, just, okay, here's what you should do. You should look up Praise the Lord or PTL Club TV show and just watch some clips on YouTube because... It is fascinating not only to see how they ask for money, but how they just share their message of, oh, if you do this, God will love you. It's just, to me, it's insane 
and I don't understand how people could fall for it or believe it, but a lot of people did and a lot of people still do today. Not hating on religion. If you like religion, cool, that's awesome for you. But I guarantee you, you giving your money to a televangelist is not going to get you to heaven quicker. It's not going to make you saved. It's not going to do any of that. If you want to give money to a church, <laughs> give money to a church in your local community that does good local community things, which undermines my argument for the taxation on churches things. But if you're really wanting to give your money to a church, give it to a church that you know does good for the community. <laughs> Don't give it to some preacher on TV saying, for $19.99, you can reserve your spot in heaven. Like, <laughs> no, don't don't do that. Don't give them your money. Alrighty, so now for the personal scandal, this is, or I asked for scandalous things that happened in your school or school district, and someone sent this in. They said that one year, the principal, who was also the varsity volleyball coach, had sex with one of the volleyball girls. One year, there was an orgy in the auditorium. <laughs> Jesus. Another year, a student's fisting video got leaked. Oh my god. And last year, a teacher was arrested for illicit messages with a student. Holy buckets. Um, what's going on in your school district, <laughs> person who sent that in? Wow, okay, well, thank you so much for sending that in. And I hope your school district, or your old school district or whatever, maybe... <laughs> wow, that's just, that's a lot going on there. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, and on that note, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> this episode was a crazy one. If you want to keep up with the latest, stay in touch on social media. I'm going to post pictures from this case on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook. If you search Scandal101Podcast, you'll find us there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com, where you can find the show notes. And the show notes, again, are also in the uh, description of the episode. And then lastly, if you have your own personal scandal you want read on the podcast, please email that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day, night, morning, whatever time it is you're listening, and don't give your money to a televangelist. This has been episode 39 of Scandal 101.